The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. We are coming to you uh, five days or so after Memphis finally vanquished that four-game losing streak, wins for the first time in over a month, beating Tulsa on Thursday night. They moved back to 5-5 five and five, uh, and now are staring bowl eligibility dead in the eye uh, with a game against North Alabama uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, so lots to get into in this episode. We'll talk about, we'll rehash the Tulsa game. We will um, look ahead to senior day uh, against North Alabama both on the field and off it, uh, this, you know, and then, uh, you know, talk about the significance of, uh, bowl eligibility for this program at this point And, you know, what's on the horizon here as the season winds down might also get into some bowl projections because it's a, it's officially time, Evan, they've put themselves in position. A lot of things haven't gone right this season, but they have put themselves in position to talk about bowl projections again. Um, I guess let's start here. What to you um, was the most encouraging thing about the Tulsa win? Was it just the fact that they won, finally got a win, and got off the Schneid? What What would you say? Uh, uh, the what 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 did you leave with uh, coming out of that game uh, that you took as a positive after uh, a month plus of losing? Yeah, I, I think the first of all, the win was was nice to cover a win again. I mean, what had been for. 40 days or something. Yeah. Like, we're almost like in Noah's, you know, the wilderness for 40 days of losses and speculation and all that kind of stuff. The fact that they won was impressive, although beating a Tulsa team that is kind of floundering and didn't have their starting quarterback fully healthy in Davis Brin, you take it with a grain of salt, but a win is a win, even though there were things that I still didn't like about the game. But I take away the positive that the defense played really really well um they 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 throttled a team that was not impressive i believe tulsa had only 207 total yards of offense um they had three sacks they got pressure on the quarterback um had a couple takeaways which was good to see again um all in all i i thought the defense deserved a lot of props for how they were able to kind of you know keep that game in check and do really well um, offensively, though, I, I this is probably another takeaway that that stands out to me. Against the third worst run defense in the country, you had your lowest run total of the season. Um, that to me, I think, speaks volumes about where the run game is and has been really for the last three seasons. It, Memphis only had 79 rushing yards, a season low. Um, and of course, this week, you know, we'll get into Brandon Thomas being out for the year. But to me. The defense playing really well, the um, run game having some concern, you know, showing it's probably most concerning game and just getting the win. I think those are the three things that I probably took away the most that stick with me now as we record this a few days after the game. Yeah, probably the best way to describe it was 
defense was really good, uh, and the offense was, uh, you know, kind of middling. Um, did just enough. Um, they are now 52nd in the country in total offense, um, which is the worst they've been in like eight, nine years. We'll see if they can uh, move up the rankings here with this North Alabama game coming up. But, uh, yeah, it kind of it, it felt like an encouraging effort by the defense, maybe their best performance of the year um, in shutting down Tulsa by and large. I know it wasn't a great offense overall, but still like they, you know, you know, they gave up a touchdown in the fourth quarter late, but other than that, I mean, they, you know, they kept them out of the end zone. Um, and you know, the offense was once again, you know, lacked the ability to kind of sustain drives. Um, and it's by and large because, you know, the offensive line, it felt like took a little bit of a step back after a, taking something of a step forward. It felt like against UCF at times, um, but yeah, they got to win. I think that's what, that was the, that was the, uh, the big part to me is that they, uh, you know, they were able to, um, get off the schneid and, you know, ultimately they've lost a lot of luster. The program has this season and last season taken together, but one thing they do still have in their pocket um, barring some sort of disaster this weekend, is they're going to go to a ninth straight bowl game now because they won that game against Tulsa on Thursday. And it's the longest active streak among group of five programs. And I think that's, you know, that's important that you at least were able to preserve that. And I think it's why there seems to be a sentiment behind the scenes that, they're not going to make a move on Ryan Silverfield if he's bowl eligible. And again, barring disaster, he's going to be bowl eligible because of that Tulsa win. Yeah. And I think we, that's probably the easiest guarantee to make about Saturday is that by around 4.30 p.m., Memphis will celebrate its ninth consecutive bowl game. And the fans who are in attendance can probably um, – process the fact that Ryan Schofield will be back. I think it's a safe thing to say. And look, it, it's going to look, if you were wondering if Memphis was going to make a move, it was probably going to be hinging on the fact if Memphis finished with a losing record, because had Memphis got to 500 or somehow finished one game above, you know, 500, um, it would be a lot, or excuse me, two games above 500. I'm sorry. Um, it would be a lot harder to, let go of Ryan Silverfield just because of how it would look for, hey, a coach gets you to a bowl game, you fire him. It's it's a very strange uh, situation, I would say. But it seems like, you know, Ryan Silverfield has bought himself some time with that Tulsa win. However, the question remains, what's going to happen when you look up Saturday and the buzz around this team or the lack of buzz around this team crystallizes with probably – a crowd that will not will probably won't reach 25,000 a senior day against a FCS opponent in North Alabama and just you know another game that's on ESPN plus it's a game that you know not everyone's going to watch because the, you know ESPN's relegated to its subscription services so all those things still loom over the program and i don't think fans are going to be comfortable with where the program is right now i can tell you the players sure aren't and we'll we'll get into that a little bit more but I can tell you the fans aren't comfortable, and I think it it speaks to the other question of 
What's it going to take for the program to kind of, you know, get some of that mojo back? You know, will it take them beating yeah. SMU next week too? Maybe. Um, <laughs> will it take them winning the bowl game? Maybe. Uh, but those are questions that that Memphis has to answer, even with this, you know, chance for goodwill come Saturday. No, I think if you're Memphis, you can you look at this. You're Ryan Silkfield. You go, okay, I probably saved my job at this point, but. Let's say they go six and six. Let's say they beat North Alabama, lose to SMU, and then, you know, whatever, whether they win or lose some, you know, a bowl game against, you know, whoever, whomever, um, you know, will there, there won't be a ton of momentum. There won't be a ton of enthusiasm heading into the offseason. Now, you could sell me a scenario where you beat North Alabama, you beat SMU, you win your bowl game. Now, suddenly, that maybe changes the narrative of the season. You know, you can you can point to we are headed on an upward trajectory if you can close the season like that. And I don't think it's totally far-fetched. I mean, you know, they're not going to be favored against SMU, but I wouldn't, you know, SMU is no world beater, um, you know, out there. So that is still technically in play. I also thought the other interesting thing about this game, Evan, was before the game. Uh, Mike Oresco was there on his way to the Tulane UCF game, standing on the sideline. I, I talked to him uh, before the game, and I thought it was really interesting what he was saying and what he clearly came there ready to say um, about Memphis. And it was almost like I, I the way I described it in my column at commercialpill.com was kind of tough love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, people forget how important this program has been for the league. You were a fundamental part of what we were doing in this league, and we need you back. Um, that felt like that was a telling comment from Oresco, like basically saying, like, hey, we need you guys in this new league that we have uh, next year once UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati leave. And I and I and I understand where he's coming from. Like, one, I understand Memphis fans who like frankly, are kind of rolling their eyes going like, ultimately, Memphis doesn't want to be in the AAC anymore. Right. Um, but where Oresco's coming from is, well, as long as Memphis is in the league, like for the league to truly prosper, probably needs Memphis to be really good again, honestly. It's one of the programs that actually had a brand within the league. And that brand is not the same as it was. And... I thought it was very noteworthy and telling that the commissioner of the league was willing to point that out publicly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought his comments were were very interesting to you. And again, I encourage everyone to go to commercial pill, read Mark's column, because when you have the commissioner basically pleading in a way to say, hey, you know, we need you to be great. I mean, look at what the AAC is going to be next year. You have SMU, Tulane, ECU, and Memphis is probably the four teams that you're probably going to look to and say, out of those four, those are probably the, the the incumbent teams that are going to be the favorites. Well, can you bet on ECU and Tulane to have, you know, another good season? Maybe not. SMU, they've gotten it rolling the last few years, but, you know, they haven't been to a conference championship game. Memphis has. And so I think if you're going to be in this new AAC, the one thing that Memphis cannot be is okay or just above good. You have to be the top of the top. You have to be the team that teams want to punch up at not just as a trophy case but they want to punch up because you are the standard and I think um, where Memphis is right now they're gonna have to look around after this season and I'm sure they already started but 
they're going to have to look around and say, what is the standard that Memphis football needs to reasonably be at? Like 2019, you understand once in a generation, once in a probably, you know, lifetime moment, you're not going to get to the Cotton Bowl. But can you be a team that wins, you know, eight, nine, ten games, be in that conference championship conversation up until the last two weeks of the season? I think that's a reasonable standard. And even Memphis would say the bowl game is the minimum. We know that. So it's important that this offseason for Memphis addresses some of those changes or concerns or issues that have to be made. Because, again, we said that this year was going to be pivotal because of what comes next with conference realignment. Well, 2023 is going to be pivotal because you're going into that new conference. And, oh, by the way, the stadium renovations after the 2023 season are going to start. Um, And so all that comes into play. So it's really important for Memphis to look at this season. And after what Mike Oresco said, they have to address the serious issues on the field that make this program need to be better than what it's been the last two years. Well, and and the truth is, you know, part of, you know, in my mind, if, you know, you're keeping Ryan Silverfield, it's, it's, it should be because you think he's capable of making this program one of the best in this new look AAC. Um, that's what I, that's what always has concerned me about this decision all along, because it doesn't feel like it's coming from that place. It's more coming from a place of, well, we just don't want to spend the money. Um, and it's not, you know, like if I, if I truly believed that the people running the football program, if you will, the people who oversee it truly believed Ryan was definitely, it was capable of definitely capable of doing this, uh, doing that. I'd feel much better about the whole situation. I don't get that vibe though, that that's necessarily the reason that's driving his return. Regardless, um, I think, um, you know, he's going to get a chance to do that next year, I think. Um, so, um, and you know, I, I kind of appreciated the fact that Oresco was willing to say that publicly though, kind of almost challenging Memphis to get back to where it was, because I do think he's right. Like ultimately in a few years, let's say Memphis, you know, hopefully they're not, but let's say Memphis is still in the AAC in a few years when the college football playoff expands. Well, you know, they're going to have access to an, they're going to, they're even in the AAC stuck in the AAC, they're going to have better access to the playoff and a potential, you know, long shot national championship than they ever have before. Um, even stuck in the AAC and you're going to want the AAC to continue being considered, you know, the best group of five conference in the country. And I think it's very much in doubt once you lose Cincinnati, Houston and, uh, and UCF, you're going to come back down to the pack with the mountain West and the Sun Belt. But it's really hard to imagine the AAC maintaining that position if Memphis is not one of the elite teams in the league. Because resources-wise, resource-wise and all that, like, they should be. Based on when you compare them to the other schools in who are going to be in the league next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, to me... That's why I think it's going to be critical to see what happens. You know, again, the season's still going on. You know, we may have three more games to to, to, to cover and watch, but the offseason for Memphis, it's going to be about how do you address those problems to position yourself as a, a program 
that is not just, you know, relevant around the city, but relevant around the AAC. Because I guarantee you, you know, you look at teams like a UTSA, you know, they've already beaten Memphis. So they want to try to prove themselves in this conference. You look at a team, I don't know, like, uh, gosh, I can't think of another team in that conference that's I would consider. But, you know, UTSA sent a message two years or a year ago. And what Memphis doesn't want to do is you don't want to lose that footing even more going to a conference that's considerably weaker. And so, yeah, I'm very curious that when the season is over, what moves will happen, what needs to be done to kind of shake up and rejigger where this program is, because if it's not where it needs to be a year from now, then we're going to have some those conversations that have to be had are going to be had full speed ahead without any delay. Yeah. Um, Now, this weekend, they play North Alabama, who's not just an FCS team. It's a really bad FCS team. They're one and nine. They fired their they have an interim coach. Now they are it does appear playing hard for the interim coach. Three of their last four games have been decided by uh, a touchdown or less, eight points or less. Um, but they've lost eight in a row coming into Memphis. This should like if this this should be a total cakewalk um, for the Tigers. And they will get, you know, again, it would be a total disaster and, frankly, a fireable offense if Memphis loses this game, okay? Um, so we're going to just assume they win the game. Right. Um, but it is senior day. Um, so I wanted two things from you, Evan. You have a story out at commercialappeal.com in which you talk to some of these seniors, some of these guys who have been with the program at its height, and obviously are on it in, with it, you know, leading the program this year where it's kind of hit a lull. Um, I'm, I wanted you to give your thoughts on what the players told you about how they feel about how this all has gone down the last three years. And then I want to hear what the latest is in bowl projections, because there's not, you know, coaching carousel season and bowl projection season, nothing better when it comes to speculation. So uh, let's start though, Evan, with that story that people should go read over at commercialpeel.com, sum it up for people. What would be what what did what what did you take away from what some of these seniors said to you about where the program was and where it is now? Sure thing. So again, I spoke with uh, several seniors: Quindell Johnson, Jalen Allen. Uh, we spoke to Zay Collins after the game last week, but Zay Collins, uh, Matt Dale, Gabriel Rogers, um, some of the guys who were on that 2019 Memphis football team, obviously from those of those five, Zay Collins and Quindell were contributors. Uh, Jalen Allen was, was a young, young pup on that team as was Matt Dale. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, we straight up asked him like, you know, how do you feel about where the program is now? Does it, you know, does it, is it difficult to see where things are now based on where they were three years ago? And to a person, they all said, yes. I mean, Quindell Johnson basically said, you know, this year would feel like it felt different because it was going to be kind of a rebuild because you added guys like a Tyler Murray, a, a Jeffrey Ken Arku, a Davion Ross on this defense. You know, he, he thought it would be kind of a rebuilding year. Um, and he thinks that this team, you know, it, it's better. He, he thinks it's better than last year. But even he admitted going into this year, it wouldn't be like 2019 or 2020. He knew going in there was going to be some challenges. Um and, and they, you know, they've been there. I mean, Jalen Allen came out and said, you know, when he was here, you know, you had guys like Patrick Taylor who mentored him, you know, guys like that. But this year, the player, you know, they don't have the same 
type of players, same type of coaches, same type of you know type of coaches and players. You know, it's it's different. And you know, Matt Dale took it further. You know, that team they looked at the guys like Patrick Taylor, Kenny Gainwell, Demonte Coxey, Dylan Parham. You know, Antonio Gibson, guys who set the tone with how hard they worked and putting in that grind. And you know. Gabe Rogers said there was an enthusiasm around practice in 2019 because you didn't know what would happen next. You had something to look forward to every week. And now it just feels like it's a different type of energy where, you know, you know, the guys still want to play and there's still a fight there, but it just feels like it's not the same level of excitement or enthusiasm. And Jalen Allen even said that it hurt, you know, it hurt because he's a leader on this team and he feels like the program has fallen on his watch. Um, and so, you know, there there is a little bit of, of sadness, at least with him and even Quindell Johnson, just thinking about like, you know, it is it is kind of a disappointment, but they all were also optimistic that, hey, they could still turn it around. They're not that far off from where they were in 2019. Zay Collins, I believe when you straight up asked him, how close are you to that 2019 team? He said, well, you know, we think we're right there. It's just, you know, we've had these close losses, you know, that have kept us away from that. And, you know, Quindell Johnson even said, look, if you win the next two games, you get to a bowl game, you win that game, you're eight and five. That changes the trajectory of where this season could go. And so they're all still optimistic that these next two games in a bowl game can probably, you know, change the course of the season. But clearly they're not satisfied with where the program is right now. Um, Gabe Rogers even said, I think, when when uh, Memphis was four and one, some guys got a little bit big headed and, you know, they went to their heads a little bit and they kind of got knocked in their butts during that four game winning streak. Um, those are my words, not his. But he did say that guys got a little big headed. So it's interesting to kind of hear the players talk about, you know, their, their their disappointment with where things are, but also the defiance and optimism that, hey, it's not over. They can still find a way to redeem this season, if you will. But clearly they know it's not what it was in 2019. Um, you want me to get into those bowl projections or you want to react to that? No, I mean, it's just, you know, all of it is, you know, it's all a little, frankly, concerning to hear them talk like that um, because it almost feels like they feel a little, a lot of them feel almost helpless at the, you know, to, you know, they don't, they don't have answers, obviously, to what happened here. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, it just kind of in general is, you know, it's just the whole, it, it, it's, you can feel it around the whole program, this vibe of, you know, we know we're not what we once were and we haven't figured out how we can get back to what we once were, you know, and like that uncertain feeling, I think, is permeated through the entire whether it's fan base or team or whatever. It's everywhere right now when it comes to Memphis football. It's not a disaster, but it's obviously like everyone knows this is not headed in the correct direction right now. Um, and the fact that everyone's aware of it and so far haven't been able to kind of shift the ship, if you will, turn it around, um, you know, with each passing week, you know, you move farther and farther away from that program that used to be, you know? And so that's, that to me is, that's what's so concerning about what you've seen take place. But, um, you know, again, I do think that bowl game streak is important to preserve, like, especially at a place like Memphis, where before this bowl streak began, like going bowling was a rarity. Uh, and now it's become so regular that, you know, a coach is on the hot seat for barely making a bowl game last year's. And, and 
don't take that as me saying like it, he shouldn't be. I, you know, Frank, if you've listened to this podcast, if you've listened to me on the radio, if you read my columns, I, I've made it clear. I think he should be on the hot seat because of how these two seasons have played out. But nonetheless, like it's an important distinction for the program to be able to keep the bowl streak alive. So at least they were able, or at least I should say, at least it looks like they're going to be able to do that. Yes. And, and, and everyone said, when I mentioned that, you know, what does that bowl game streak mean? It, you know, Zay Collins said it after the game against Tulsa, it means everything, you know, Quindell Johnson told me that, you know, they don't want to be the senior class that let that streak in. They wanted to get one more game. Cause remember last year they didn't get to play in a bowl game, you know? So those seniors, their time ended with that Tulane game last year. They didn't get to go play in Hawaii. They went to Hawaii, which was great, but they didn't get to play in a bowl game. So they all said that a bowl game is still very much important to them. And keeping that streak alive means something because it is kind of carrying on at least one thing of that tradition from the 2017-19 tires. Like you're not competing for a conference championship. You're not in the conversation for the New Year's Six Bowl. But at least the bowl game streak, at least from what players told me, that still drives them because they feel like that's something that means something for for them and the hard work they put in and how they don't want that streak to die. So we'll get into some of these projections. Um, I collected a few of them on, on this week, and obviously every week until Bull Sunday, we'll have those up at commercialpill.com. So this week, um, interesting enough, the, the overwhelming prediction that I saw, at least four different predictions, had Memphis going to the Birmingham Bowl, yippee. Um, See, <laughs> I, I'll say this, like – I don't buy those projections because if you look at the AAC track record, they don't operate like other conferences when it comes to bowl games. It's not like there's a pecking order of, okay, if you finish, you know, this bowl game has the first pick, this bowl game has the second pick. They game it out so that they have their best teams playing in the bowl games where they're going to face power five teams. And the Birmingham Bowl is one of those bowl games where you play an SEC team a lot of times. Um, So I have my doubts about them going to Birmingham because I don't think the conference is going to put Memphis in a bowl game where they're going to play against a Power 5 team. That would be my gut because they're not one of the best teams in the league this year. I I agree, and I've told people that. I even mentioned it in my story that Memphis is probably not going to, and you can even look at last year if you don't believe us. Like Memphis was, I believe, tied for 7th last year Mm -hmm. and they would have played Hawaii. I mean, to me, the AAC, I like what they do. Like they try to reward their best team and say, Hey, we want to show our conference strength by putting our best against, you know, power five teams. So I, I I agree with you. I think Birmingham is a very interesting placing for these other, um, some of these sites. And then two sites had the Fenway bowl, which was supposed to be debuting last year, but didn't due to the pandemic. But that game also, I believe that it's going to be the AAC against the ACC. So yeah. that bowl game seems a little bit strange for me because I, I don't see Memphis again. Assuming if Memphis wins this week but loses to SMU, they'll be six and six. I don't see them going to play an ACC team in Boston at Frigid Fenway at Frigid Fenway Park. So um, again, these are the two bowls that were the most popular on projections. But as we said, they're going to probably play a bowl game against a team that's not from the Power Five, which might help Memphis out even if people aren't excited because. If you get that bowl win, that kind of can be a good thing. Yes. Now, here's the bowl game I think they're going to go to. You want? Let's mark this down. November 16th. Okay, that's when we're recording this. Ahead of the North Alabama game. 
I'm writing it down. Writing it down. I saw this guy up in the Liberty Bowl press box during the Tulsa game. Independence Bowl. That's where they're going. They're going to Shreveport. It's a game that is either it's it's got tie-ins with the Pac-12, with Army, and with the AAC and Conference USA. However, this is not a year where the Pac-12 goes to the Independence Bowl, okay? And Army is currently six and six. We, or three and six, excuse me, which Ooh. means they won't get bowl eligible even if they win out till after the bowl selection process because they play Navy, you know, th- that Army Navy game is a week later. So my gut, if you had to, if you it, mark this down, Evan, I'm, I'm Memphis down. is going to the Independence Bowl. And I'm not saying this, I have not talked to anyone from the Independence Bowl. I, I'm not saying this from a perspective of reporting. I'm just telling you, this is my prediction, okay? Independence Bowl against a Conference USA team. That's where Memphis, that's what Memphis is doing. Shreveport. Shreveport. Shreveport it is. All right, all right. That's my prediction. That's my prediction. I I like that prediction. For me, and I'm going to say this for some reason, I've had this bowl in my head as a possible one for various reasons, but um, the Frisco Bowl in Texas seems kind of attractive for a couple reasons. One, it's against, you know, a group of five team or army. Um, two, it's on December 18th. And Memphis is typically liked to play a bowl game that yep. is before Christmas. Now, the Independence Bowl is December 23rd. That's cutting it close. But mm-hmm. Memphis likes to play those bowl games before Christmas. And I'm thinking a, a bowl game in Texas, it's a quick, quick trip. Get over there. Get in. Get out. Everybody goes home well before Christmas. I think that's a possibility too, but Shreveport at the Independence Bowl, a little crazy, but not outside of the real possibility. Yeah, I'm thinking those two bowls feel like, you know, ones that they could go to. Maybe Boca Raton Bowl, potentially, uh, is one, I believe. Uh, I don't know. Army. Uh-huh. What? Group of, five. Group of five is in that one too. Yeah, those, are the, those would be the three main targets uh, I would think of but i'll just tell you this there was an independence bowl guy at the tulsa game on thursday night i took note of that i'll say that hey keeping your eye out mark that's what you gotta do look to see which bowls are represented at games good eye yeah all right well uh we will have uh plenty of coverage heading into the north alabama game evan has that story up about uh the uh senior class I'll have an interesting column heading into the game about a former Memphis Tiger football player. Um, And we will have uh, tons of coverage from Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium heading into that game and hopefully uh, coming out of it when the uh, Tigers officially get bowl eligible. Um, Till next time, I was Mark. That was Evan. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will uh, see you next week when we're uh, hopefully talking even more about where the Tigers are going bowling. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.